Thank you, sir. Well, happy Easter. Right, that wasn't too bad. Let me do it. Can Nick already got to do it? I'm going to do it too. Um, he has risen. He has risen indeed. That's a very churchy thing that I actually didn't grow up with, but I found out when I became a pastor that people actually did that, and I like it. So thanks, Nikki, for doing it too. Um, so good morning. Happy Easter. If you don't know me, my name's JT. I'm one of the pastors here at Freshwater. So thankful that you're here today. So thankful we get to celebrate together. And for those on the bleachers, if you don't, like there's a whole row there and there and there, feel free to come up and sit down if you want to. Don't be embarrassed, but you can stay there if you want. But we're so thankful uh, that you're here today. And so today is a day of celebration. Um, re- the, the resurrection Easter is something to celebrate. But before we do that, I just felt convicted. W- I wanted to pray over something before we jump in today. Um, as I looked at the news over the last couple days, there are people around the world, particularly in Ukraine, that are not getting to celebrate like they want to today, right? Um, there's people persecuted all over the world. Ukraine just kind of gets to be a picture of some of the persecution, not just for Christians, but in this world. Um, and so we haven't prayed over that as a church, just that there's war in our world right now, but also persecution of the church around the world right now. And so I just wanted to pray for that. In particular, um, one of our members, their son is there. Um, and I, as last I heard, they haven't really heard from him in a while that he might've even been in a wreck and they don't know exactly what's going on. And he's there serving, um, trying to bring humanitarian aid as a Christ, through Christian organizations to, to give humanitarian aid and share the gospel. And they haven't heard from him in a while and he's right in the thick of it. Um, so I want to take time to pray for Chad too. So why don't, why don't we just pray right now? Heavenly Father, what an honor, what a privilege it is to be able to worship you so freely, to walk in here today and just celebrate Easter, celebrate your resurrection. But God, we know that there's Christians all over around the world that have to do this in secret, that have to do this under extremely difficult situations. God, there's people in Ukraine, Christians and otherwise, who um, are being bombarded, who are being killed, are seeing their family members killed. Um, God, we long for your peace in the world. We long for your power to be shown in the world. And so God, we pray for the persecuted church and we pray for the people of Ukraine. Um, God, that you bring peace and hope. God, as you do through, through, through difficult situations, um, so often your church grows and thrives. And the real Christians step forward. They are seen and they're an inspiration to those around them. So I pray, God, that you would raise up people in Ukraine. You'd raise up people in persecuted areas and unreached areas around the world so that your gospel may go forth. So that in the difficulty, people would see that you are bigger than the difficulty, bigger than the suffering, and that you do amazing things through those times. And God, we pray for those amazing things to happen. Yeah, we also pray for Chad as he's in Ukraine and his team and the people with him and other people doing humanitarian and um, particularly with the Christian organizations that are also trying to share the gospel there. I pray for protection. I pray for guidance. But also, God, I pray for powerful things to happen through their testimony, through them being willing to be there, that the people of Ukraine who are suffering would hear the gospel and be saved. God, and that you would raise up Ukrainians to be saved that will go out and share with their family, to share with their friends. And God, through this terrible situation, you do amazing things. But also, God, we pray for... Um, for, for Russia, God, for the leaders in Russia to do the right thing, for people, even Russians, to hear the gospel, to see it presented in one way or another, God, and for you just to move in power. God, once again, we thank you for um, what we get to celebrate so freely today. God, I pray it would be a time of, of celebration today, a time of joy, and a time of reflecting just how good you are to us and just how much you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, with that, let's jump in. Um, have you ever heard that sheep are dumb animals? No, they're just dumb. Um, I know most of us in this room, most of us aren't farmers. You might be surprised to know that like most of our family growing up was farmers other than us, right? So I, I went to Ropens. 
And I jumped on sheep and tried to take them down. Have you ever been, have you ever been to a rodeo where you like try to jump on sheep and pull, pull the thing off of them? Or calves, you pull the thing off of there. Yeah, I, I did those things. Um, rode horses, did all that stuff when I was little. I know it's obvious now that, I, that we did that stuff when I was little. And I heard that same stuff too. Sheep are dumb. And the reality is, when it comes to sheep, that's true and not true. It, I think they kind of get a little bit of a bad rap. Um, that sheep do have a tendency to wander off and get lost. Right? If somebody's not looking out for them and watching over them, they have a tendency to wander off and get lost or just to blindly follow other sheep, to follow the leader into to completely dangerous situations where they're risking their lives, where they're not, they're kind of walking out of one fire into another fire. And so they can get themselves in a lot of trouble. They get themselves in a lot of trouble for, for one, they, sheep have almost no ability to defend themselves. I mean, think about it. Right? If a predator comes up on a sheep who, who's alone, they've got almost no ability to defend themselves at all. And then you add on top of that, secondarily, there are stories out there, and I know we hear about this with lemmings, but there are stories out there about sheep running away from a predator and just kind of blindly following the leader in front of them, and the, uh, stories of, of them falling off like 30 feet cliffs or falling into ravines and just all the sheep following right after them because they're just kind of blindly following the person in front of them. They don't stop to think, maybe I shouldn't step off of this cliff where this other sheep just rolled down and died. No, they just, they just go. And that doesn't always happen with sheep, but it, it does happen with sheep at times. So at least in part, that reputation for them being kind of dumb animals probably is a little bit deserved. On the other hand, and I studied this this week, I didn't know this. Socially, sheep are actually pretty smart animals. Did you know that? They, they, they very much are familiar, familial. They're, they're, they're social, they're communal animals that form close bonds. They, they actually remember a very high number of other sheep and like kind of like treat them as friends and family. They hang out with the same sheep. They, they know their other sheep. They know their family much more, than, much more so than a lot of other animals. And in the end, that's really important for sheep because really their only protection from their predators out there, from their enemies out there, is to be together right? To stick really close together, to fend off their, the predators together, to, to, to look like a big, a big mob so predators are hesitant to come up and try to attack them. It's their numbers. It's them fighting alongside their family that they have the best chance of survival. Anyone see where that one might be going later on? Anyone? Anyone? Okay. Um, church, let me ask you before we jump into our passage today, do you ever feel like this? Do you ever feel like a sheep? Scripture describes us as sheep at times, right? Do you ever feel like a sheep? Ever been a, a time in your life where you found yourself just kind of wandering off, just distracted by the things of this world and didn't even really notice? You just kind of wandering off where you didn't really think you would be or you would go? Because most of the time those things aren't obvious. I think for sheep, they're not obvious either. They just kind of wander off. Maybe you wandered off. It, it was your job. You got really involved in Maybe it was just seeking pleasures of this world, whatever that might be. Maybe it is addictions. You, you, you like gave yourself over fully to addictions and it pulled you a long way away. Uh, maybe it was the idol of busyness. You know how often I've talked about that in the past, how we give our lives over to the idol of busyness where we, we get further away from God and from his family and from the things God's called us to than we ever thought we would be. I think for a lot of us in this room, it's, it's the idol of comfort. We're so busy seeking comfort. We're so busy trying to find like happiness and ease in our lives and surround ourselves with these things that we get, we get distracted by those things instead of sometimes doing the hard thing that God's calling us to do. Instead, we give ourselves over to the idol of comfort and we kind of find ourselves further away from where we should be than we ever planned. Haven't, haven't all of us been, been there in one way or another in the past? Haven't we? I think every one of us have. 
Or, or this, the other way that she'd get in a whole lot of trouble. Have you ever just followed around the wrong person? Right? Kind of pursued things with the wrong person. Just, just kind of going along with the flow, kind of just doing what the other people are doing, not really paying attention to where you are going, to where this thing is leading. I think that describes almost every one of us in high school. But is that still you? ever had a time in your life, and, and maybe it was, it's right now, that if you actually just stopped and looked up, like looked up and paid attention to where you are, you would realize that you're further away from where God wants you. And not only that, further away from God's family, God's people, other people that love you and want to build you up as you should build them up. You're further away from them than you ever really planned to be and ever really thought you were, you were going to be. Because listen, in scripture, God makes it very clear. There is no, hey, just me and Jesus are good. I don't, I don't need the church. I don't need anybody else. I know, hey, a lot of us in this room have been hurt by the church in the past. I think I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Right, but scripturally, there is no, me and Jesus are good. This is a family thing. We are sheep. It is communal. It is a community. I am meant to use my gifts for you, and you are meant to use your gifts for me. When we go it alone is when we get isolated, and we get in trouble, and our enemy destroys us. That's just so clear in scripture. We're meant to be together. The good and the bad, the highs and the lows. As I've said before, how could you ever truly learn grace and patience and mercy unless you had to deal with a person that didn't deserve grace and patience and mercy? You'll find that in the church, right? Go ahead and laugh about it. We can laugh about that, but it's true, right? As I've said in the past, this is not my quote, but we are a hospital for sinners, not a museum of saints. We're here because we all know we need Jesus, that we're imperfect, that we, we get lost to sin sometimes, and we need the ultimate healer to redeem us, to save us, to grow us. We're here because we need each other, and we need our Savior. It's a scary thing because not only do we act like sheep, not only do we act like sheep at times and wander off into danger and don't see it until it's too late, but the Bible also describes our ultimate predator, our ultimate enemy as a lion who is prowling around us, waiting to devour us. A wolf, a lion. So even if we don't wander off, even if we don't follow the wrong person over a cliff, what hope do sheep have against a lion? This is where we really begin to understand the importance of a shepherd and the importance of our text today. A good shepherd doesn't just keep the sheep from wandering off or, or following a bad leader sheep over a cliff, but a good shepherd uses his own strength, his, his staff. That's why they carry a staff to fend off enemies. uses his own strength, his own staff, his own voice, his own wits, sometimes even his own lives to protect his sheep that, that, that he is meant to lead. He protects them from predators. He protects them from themselves. He protects them from anything that wants to destroy them. That's what a good shepherd does. Shepherds are really valuable to a flock of sheep. So today, Easter Sunday, church, we're going to talk about how we are sheep a little bit. Uh, about how that should be a terrifying, man, that should just be a terrifying thing in a world of distraction, in a world of leaders that are not leading us towards Christ, that are not leading us in the wrong way, and in and, and a world where our own hearts sometimes long for the sinful thing, for the wrong thing, for the apathetic thing. On top of that, us having an enemy that absolutely, utterly wants to destroy us. It sh the church, it should be scary because we are sheep. Yet, Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, we are not to live in fear, are we? We're not to live in fear because we're not alone. In chapter 10, we see that we have a shepherd that is not only willing to protect his sheep, but give his very life for his sheep. But even more than that, 
more than him just saving us, yes and amen to that, but more than saving us, he also accomplished the greatest thing in the whole of human history, not just so his sheep could be saved, yes and amen, but so they might have life and have it abundantly. Man, I love that phrase. John's going to use phrases like that again in John 15, that Christ didn't just come to be your good shepherd to save you, but so that you can have life and have it abundantly. How often does your Christian walk feel like, man, just life, like abundant life? Well, we're going to talk about that today because that's what your good shepherd wants for you. So because of that, Easter, on Easter day, we are going to, man, we're just going to celebrate today. I know I kind of start with heavy, how we're sheep, right? But today is going to be a day we are going to celebrate and we're just going to give all the glory to our good shepherd for all that he has done and all that he continues to do. That's, that's what Easter is really about. So open back up to John chapter 10, John chapter 10. And because of all of the kids back there in that cafeteria today doing amazing things, learning about the gospel. We're not going to spend as much time as we normally do. I'm going to try to move through this pretty quick, but I think it's a good text to do so. So start reading with me in chapter 10, verse 1, and we'll read through verse 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. All right, so I want to give us a little context so that we can really and truly understand this. In the ancient world, um, I think this will seem obvious, but they had these pens for sheep. Big shocker, right? But what they would do is a lot of times they would have this walled-in area that multiple families would share, and there'd be a gate on it, and there'd be a gatekeeper to protect it. So if they brought their sheep in at night, um, they would be safe. So Jesus is using the sheep and the sheep pen, basically, and the shepherd and the gatekeeper and false shepherds to make a couple different but very similar analogies. And so when we go through these analogies really quickly, don't think of them as building on each other. They're two kind of separate analogies pointing to the same thing using the same example. And so first he says, anyone who climbs in with the sheep that is not their shepherd is a thief and a robber. So if you were here last week, I know some of you weren't, but if you were here last week in chapter 9, um, the context of chapter 9 really feeds into this. So who do you think Jesus is calling a th a thieves and robbers? What do you think? I, I'm going to go ahead and say it because I heard So um, the religious leaders, right? Those who are supposed to be shepherding God's people, but instead are the enemy of God's people, right? They're supposed to be, but they're supposed to be leading people to God, but they're leading them away. Do you remember if you weren't here last week in chapter nine, Jesus healed a man born blind from birth. His entire life, he had been born blind and Jesus healed him. And this guy didn't really know Jesus. He just, he just healed him. And then this man goes in front of the Pharisees and the scribes. He goes in front of the religious leaders and they just celebrated with him that God did this amazing miracle, right? 
No, right? If you were there, it says that they reviled him. They reviled the man that's been healed. The most amazing thing probably any of them have ever seen, they revile him. They basically call him a liar and then they throw him out. They throw this guy out. These are the people who are supposed to be shepherding God's people. And Jesus is the one they've been waiting for. But this is how they respond to miracles done by their own Savior who they don't recognize. This is why we we looked at last week in Matthew 23. Jesus describes these people and what they're doing. And he, he literally says, you are leading people to hell. That's where you're leading them. So here, this is, this is the context. They are not shepherds. They are thieves because they are robbing people of the kingdom of God. They are robbing people of the kingdom of God. So in the first analogy, Jesus says, but the one who comes through the door of the pen, that is the true shepherd. Right? He is the one that will lead his sheep, that will lead his, his people, his sheep to green pastures. And that his sheep listen to him because they know his voice. And then the second metaphor, Jesus says something very similar, but again, in a different way. He says, this time he says, I am the door. Meaning not only is he the shepherd that will lead them, that he is the only way that they can be led out of the pen into green pastures, the only, and, and the only way they can be protected for, from their enemies. He's the only way. He is the shepherd, and he is the only way for the, for the sheep to find where they are meant to be. All right, so in Eastern cultures... In Jesus' day, and even to this day, did you know that they almost never use anything like a sheepdog or anything else? Western cultures, we use sheepdogs and, and, you know, hold them in and horses, whatever else, right? But Eastern shepherds to this day typically don't. What do you think they use to keep their sheep together? Right? Their voice. Shepherds in Eastern culture have a distinct call. And when their sheep hear their voice, they come. Many times, different shepherds would use the same pen. If it was a walled enclosure, they'd use the same pen. And so there'd be multiple sheep kind of mixed in together and they would come in. Their shepherd would enter through the door and he would call out to his sheep and only his sheep would come to him because they know his voice. It's distinct. They know him. So they come out into the pasture and follow their shepherd, right? Even and out. And sometimes shepherds would come together and their sheep would come together and to separate them out, their shepherd would call with his voice and all these sheep that look like they're all together, the ones who were actually his would come out. They would separate out from the rest of the flock and they would follow their shepherd. They would follow the call of their master. Jesus using these examples would have been very clear to the Jewish people at the side because they all knew shepherds. People in their families were probably shepherds. Some shepherds might have been listening to him. We don't understand this analogy as clearly as they did at the time, but for them, they would have seen very clearly what Jesus was trying to say. Jesus is trying to tell the Jews listening, and this would have been religious leaders listening and the average Jewish citizen listening right now, that he is the door to the kingdom of God. That he is the true shepherd leading his people to the green pasture. That he, through his distinct call, his children will hear his voice. His sheep will hear his voice and they will come. They will hear and they will enter through him and be saved. Or as he will say later in John in a different way, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Church, Jesus condemns the religious leaders so many times throughout all of the Gospels. And he should. He's, here he's calling, it, calling to attention that they are thieves and robbers because they're robbing people of the kingdom of God. But in verse 10, I think he's being a little bit more specific. Read verse 10 again. It's a really important verse for our 
context today. Verse 10 says, the thief, the thief, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. In verse 10, I think he's drawing our attention to something specific, our, not all of the thieves and robbers, but our true enemy. For those of you who've been here, I'll ask you guys a lot of questions today. I want to see if you remember. In chapter 8, Jesus says once again that, that, that God is my Father. The Father sent me. But he's, not, he's talking to the religious leaders here, and he says, but he's not your Father. Who does he say is the Father of these religious leaders? Satan. The devil. Look, I'm, I'm telling you, when it comes to these guys, Jesus does not mince his words, does he? Right? I, I come from my Father, so I know my Father, but you're not of him because your Father is the devil. Church, we have a very real enemy. As I've said in three or four sermons recently, nobody talks about Satan and hell more than Jesus Christ does. Let that sink in. The one who loves us, like everybody looks at Jesus as a ministry of love. He, he talks about, the, man, the evil of the religious leaders and Satan and hell more than anyone else does. Church, we have a very, very real enemy. An enemy that's far too much for you to handle, too much for us to overcome, and far, far too powerful for any of us to have hope against. And here's the thing. In Western culture, and maybe even for me at, me at times, I, th- I think we downplay this a little bit. But hear me, Satan is real. And he is a liar. And he is an accuser. It says he accuses the saints day and night. And I've said this so many times, I want you to hear it again. This, the hard thing about, about how Satan accuses is he's accused you mostly with things that you actually have done and thought. So he tries to convince you you're still that old person, the one that hasn't been redeemed, the one that hasn't been saved, that you are deserving of feeling shame and guilt and being pounded down and being grinded down into the dust. And sometimes he's accusing you of things you've actually done. That's who he is. He wants to destroy you. He wants to kill you. And I know, I know many of you in this room have felt that before, haven't you? The point where you've been grinded down and you just feel like, man, it is enough I can't deal with this anymore. That is the enemy trying to crush you and convince you that you have no hope. That you have no hope. He wants to pull you away from your shepherd so he might kill you, so that he might destroy you. But he doesn't want to just pull you away from your shepherd. He wants to to pull you away from the safety of the flock. The safety of your family. The safety of the gathering. Man, I said it before, I'll say it again. Church is not always easy, right? When you're dealing with this many people together and we try to act like a family, there's going to be some highs and lows, right? There just is. But we're meant to work through those things together, not be isolated out there on our own where our enemy can surround us, isolate us, and destroy us. You were built to be together. We were built to work, these, work through these things together. You were built to use your gifts to build others up. Do you know how much joy and hope comes with using your gifts to lift others up? And then how people use their gifts to lift you up in your weaknesses or when you're struggling or when you're suffering to lift you up so that you might be more in Christ? Everything in Scripture is about our enemy trying to isolate us and destroy us. But we leave the flock. He wants to separate you out from the flock. Your enemy wants to rob every good thing from you and utterly destroy you and you don't have the power to stop it. That church, that is why your shepherd came to intervene for you. This is the good news of the gospel, right? That he came to intervene for you. Because listen, we need saving. 
we need saving. But Jesus didn't come just to save you from your sin and from an enemy who wants to kill you. No, he also came so that you might have life, as it says in verse 10, and have it abundantly. Church, what does it mean to have an abundant life? Well, we're going to talk about that in a second. Right, Rhonda, you're ready to answer. I love it. I'll come back to you in the end, right? What does it mean to have abundant life? Rhonda's like, I know. Let me stand up. You want to come up here? Here, come stand up. No, no. what does it mean to have an abundant life? I want to come back to that because I want, to, I want to first talk about how Jesus gives us that abundant life, and then we'll come back to that. So read in verse 11 with me. Let's continue through the rest, most of the rest of the passage in verse 11. We'll read through verse 18. John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. And here's where we get in this being an Easter passage. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. I love it. So again, I didn't really, I don't know if you picked up on the, I lay down my life and I take it up again, talking about his resurrection. Again, I didn't plan for us to be in this passage. God just works it out. Like this is a perfect Easter passage for us to be in the middle of John. I absolutely love it. So the Old Testament talks about how the shepherds over Israel were tasked with guiding the people to God. That's what the priests did. That's even what the kings ultimately were supposed to do. And listen, in the Old Testament, at times, the priests did a good job of this. At times, the kings did a good job of this, of leading the people, of shepherding the people. Like, um, but like at other times, like in Ezekiel 34, the prophet Ezekiel speaks the words of God against those leaders, against those that were supposed to lead the people to God, but instead were leading, leading for their own gain. It says in the passage that they were getting fat while the people starved. They were getting fat in their own gain while the people were starving spiritually and they were wallowing wallowing in their poverty physically. So all through the Old Testament, we see just how against God is. He sends prophet after prophet to condemn this, to come down on this. God is against this. So we see Jesus continuing that in the New Testament. He continues his father's condemnation and is just outright anger towards leaders. And here he calls them wolves. He calls them hired hands. They are false shepherds. False shepherds that run away in the people's greatest time of need, right? They, they look all pretty and they like their jobs until tough times come, the wolves come, and then they run away. Shepherds who, when put to the test, they fail their duty and they show that they were false all along. They show they were false all along. But we also t- see talk in the Old Testament in places like Ezekiel 34 and Ezekiel 37. As I had a conversation with TJ the other day, if you want to see all of this, just read Ezekiel. It's all over in Ezekiel, but in particular, you can read chap- chapter 34 in Ezekiel, chapter 37 in Ezekiel. It, start, it begins to talk about a good shepherd, a shepherd kind of in the likeness of King David that will come and he'll gather his sheep in his arms. He'll gather his lambs in his arms and he will lead people to safety. 
He is going to be the one that will lead people out of darkness and into the light. So what it seems Jesus is saying here as using metaphors, the Jewish people are picking up on. Like again, they they know their history of David and they know the history of shepherds like figuratively, but they also know what's meant by a shepherd Old Testament and Jewish culture. And so we can see that they understand because I'm not going to read it today because Noah already did, but the end of our passage, you see, they hear Jesus saying these things and they don't think he's just talking about sheep. They don't think he's just talking about sheep pens. They know what he's saying because it says some of them say, man, this guy's demon possessed. He's insane. While others are saying, no, look, look at what he's done and look at the things he's saying. He healed a blind man. And I've never heard anyone talk like this. So the people were divided because they knew what he was trying to say. Some people literally picked up stones to stone him because they knew exactly what he was claiming when he's saying, I am the good shepherd. I am the one. I am the one in the likeness of David who will truly shepherd God's people. But what they can't possibly understand yet is that when Jesus says, I am, using that phrase, I am the good shepherd, the true shepherd, that not only protects his sheep, but lays his life down for them, he's talking quite literally. He's not talking about the shepherd in the field, using that as a metaphor that will do anything for his sheep. He's quite literally saying the real good shepherd will lay down his life for his sheep. And church, that's what we celebrated on Good Friday, isn't it? We didn't get to meet together for Good Friday this year. We kind of celebrated it last year, but that's what we celebrate on Good, about Good Friday. Your enemy is real, and his tools, sin and evil and death, have enslaved us, have corrupted us, have deceived us, and in the end, without our good shepherd, will eternally, listen, eternally destroy us. Our inner enemy is too powerful, and our sin is too devastating. But, as it says in Ephesians 1 and 2, right? But God... But on that cross, our good shepherd said to his sheep, listen, you can't beat this enemy. And you can't get free from the guilt of your sin. You've wandered off too far. So I'll run after my lost sheep. I'll come chasing after you. And I'll lay my life down for you so that I can bring you back and set you free. This is what the good shepherd does. This is what he's about. On that cross, Our good shepherd shattered the power of our enemy. Did you hear that? Don't walk like you're a slave. Don't believe you're a slave to your worry, to your fear, to your lust, to your addictions, to the seeking of pleasures, to whatever in your life tries to own you. You have been set free. He crushed the power of the enemy. He broke his enslavement over us. So we're no longer enslaved to our sin. We're no longer held back and held down and bound to our shame and guilt. We no longer even have to fear death because by believing in him, Jesus has conquered death. He's conquered death for us, church. It's such good news. Do you walk in the truth of that? Because it's such good news. So church, what Jesus is telling them here is that, but it's so much more than that. He is saying, not only will those of, of my flock come, but others who are not of this fold are gonna come too. Do you hear me? He said, there's some that aren't of my fold, but I'm going to call to them and they're going to know my voice and they're going to come too. Who's he talking about? The Gentiles. If, if, you're, if that sounds like a really churchy word, Gentiles just means not Jewish, right? That he's, he's calling to, Jesus is a Jew, right? He's calling to the Jewish people, but he's making clear right now, hey, there's some that aren't in our fold. And listen, I'm calling to them too. And if they picked up on that, they probably would have got, some of them would have got even more angry because wasn't the Messiah for them? So he says, there's people not of my fold, and I'm calling to them too. One true shepherd, one true flock, no matter the race, 
no matter the history, no matter the heritage, no matter the socioeconomic status, no matter their past, all who hear the shepherd's call will and come will be saved. Amen to that. It's why we're all here today, isn't it? We're here today because Jesus called to those who were not of his fold. And I think most of us aren't Jews or even have Jewish, Jewish ancestry, right? We are here today because Jesus called out to a fold that was not his at the time. And we heard and we came because in heaven, it's going to be every tribe, every nation, and every tongue worshiping God forever. Worshiping God forever. And Jesus is already laying that out here. And they won't see this quite yet, but they're going to see it later, won't they? When the gospel goes forth to the Gentiles. So here's where we finally come back, church, to this abundant life that it talks about in verse 10. For Jesus is saying that the good shepherd doesn't just lay down his life for his sheep, but that he's going to take it up again. That, that by the Father's will, by the Father's plan, and this is, why, that this is why the Father loves me, because I do his will, I follow his plan. This is Jesus saying him and the Father are one. I do everything he asks me to do, and I follow him perfectly, faithfully. By his, his plan, that Jesus is saying, I willingly and by my own authority give my life for my sheep. But I'll also take it up again. Church, we, we need passages like this because if you, ever, if you ever look at Scripture and see what Jesus did on the cross and that his father asked him to do this on the cross, sometimes God can seem like a bad father, right? But Jesus says, no, no, no. I follow my father because I love him because he sent me to do this. I do this willingly for my sheep. Jesus wanted to give his life for you. He knew what he was going to accomplish for you. He willingly and by his own authority, following the plan and the will of the father, went to the cross so that he could give his life for his sheep. But in the end, the sheep need more than his death. They need his life. They need their shepherd to, to lead them into this abundant life that he's talking about. Church, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus is just another guy that died a martyr's death. People just, there had been people before him and there were people after Jesus that, that died for what they said they believed. The proof of who Jesus is and what he accomplished came with the resurrection where Christ showed that he truly is the good shepherd, that he truly is the son of God, that his sacrifice truly was enough to satisfy God's wrath and judgment. It was enough to atone or pay for our sin and it was enough to wash us clean. That's why we need the resurrection. That's why it's really a celebration of the resurrection because without the resurrection, the cross is just another sad story. But with the resurrection, it is all about glory, about the glory of our Father. Church, in, in his death, Jesus made the payment for our sin. But in his resurrection, Jesus raised us from death into a new life. Literally, like Jesus literally created a new people, a new covenant people in him. People that would die to their old selves and be raised to be made alive with Christ. Listen, with him, with Christ, you are changed with him. As Paul says, I want more of that resurrection power. I do this by the resurrection. The resurrection power is that Jesus has actually made you new and set you free from your guilt, from your shame, from your sin, from even the fear of death so that you might move forward in him. New people with the very spirit of God in them that not only have him and not only have God's spirit and not only have been made new, but have been given a flock, a people, a, a church led by the good shepherd that together, that together we might grow and thrive and be more than we could ever be without each other. This is why the church is so important. The good shepherd gave us the church as a gift. His, he describes it as his bride because we are so we are so precious to him. We are his beloved, and he gave us the church so that we might thrive and grow. 
Through his resurrection, our king gave us all that we might need so that we might have life and have it abundantly. Church, our good shepherd didn't just save us from something. He saved us to something. Church, remember that. You have been saved from something. You have been saved from your sin and your enemy, but you've been saved to something, to be the people of God. Be the people of God. It's such a better life than just being feeling like you've been set free from sin or trying to avoid sin. Move out of moving away from your shame and guilt and sin and move into holiness because that's where God is found. That's where the abundant life is found. That's where being the people of God is found. Stop wallowing in who you were or all those things. Man, move forward in Jesus Christ because he wants more from you than just avoiding these things, but thriving in him. People, the people of God who share the good news of the gospel, who do good works, and, you, and people who use their gifts to proclaim the glory of God and build each other up so that we might know the joys and the hopes that come with the abundant life of being the children of God. And what he's talking about here, and it's an abundant life right now, right now in him, and an abundant life that will well up all the way into eternity with our God and our King. Yes, it's pointing to eternity, but it's also pointing right now. God wants you to have an abundant life for now and an eternity. That's the power of the resurrection in you, church. Church, because our Savior is not dead, but alive, because sin has been conquered, because sin has been washed away, because the power of death has been destroyed, our king, our king is now sitting at the right hand of the Father who is still interceding for us by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is still guiding us and protecting us and leading us and shepherding us into green pastures. That's what your Savior wants to do for you. That's what God wants for you, showing us that the abundant life is not about longing for the things that the world longs for. It's not about material things or, or getting promoted at work or, or having whatever in this life that you think is going to fulfill you. There's nothing wrong with wanting things in this life, but they aren't the thing that's going to fulfill you. They aren't the thing that's going to give you hope, and they aren't the thing that are going to give you lasting joy. All of those things are fleeting. And listen, everybody in this room knows it. All of us have pursued things that we thought were going to be the thing that would make us feel whole. And if you've ever been like me and you actually got that thing, in the end, once you've got it and it feels good for a while, then, then that good feeling, that, that awesome new feeling wears off. What do you got left? You got a hole because it was never meant to be enough. It was never meant to, be, to, to give you an abundant life. It was never meant to make you feel what you're supposed to feel in Jesus Christ. The abundant life comes with pursuing Jesus Christ and knowing his peace. Man, we cast that word aside, but man, I, I talked to a buddy one time who was lost in sin and hurting in his marriage and so many more. And all he said, he said, man, I don't need all of these things. I just want peace, peace in my life that everything's going to be okay, that I am whole, that I can move forward and that I can have hope. That's what God wants to give you. Not material things. Sometimes God provides material things. Sometimes he says no, because he loves us. What he wants to give you is him because in him is peace. In him is hope. In him is purpose. In him is a resurrection life. Church, don't, here, listen, listen, church. Do not live your life as if your Savior is still dead, as if he died on the cross to pay for your sins and now it's over because you've been set free from your sin. Your Savior is alive. Pursue him as if he is alive. 
Seek him and trust him and and try to hear from him and follow him and love him more every day and you will find an abundant life in him. Your good good shepherd has already done everything that needs to be done so that you can thrive and grow in him. Everything that you need to thrive in him has already been accomplished. So this Easter church, let's recommit our lives to chase after him, to follow him, and to glorify him with everything in us so that we might know him, that we might truly in the deepest parts of us believe in him so that we might pursue him and have this abundant life. And so that abundant life might pour out of us into other people and by his resurrection power, we might lead other people to have new life in him too. Church, I love you. Happy Easter. Live the abundant life in Jesus Christ and pursue him. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for you today to see your plan all through Scripture, all through the ages to save and to redeem your people. And not only that, by the life of your, your, very, your very own son. God, what an amazing story is it to see that You had a plan all along that we might be redeemed and saved, but not just redeemed and saved, that your son would rise from the dead, be resurrected into new life, and that he wants to give that new life to us. God, it's so hard. It's so hard for us in this world with all of the things going on all the time and all of our responsibilities and our families and everything else to stay focused on you. God, I pray today, Easter would be a time of of our lives being reignited for you like seeing what you've done and be excited about it and move forward in it, knowing that nothing else in this life is going to give us a true abundant life. We're not going to feel whole, but in you we can. In you we can find our strength and our peace and our hope to move forward into everything that you have for us. And so God, I pray for everyone in here. Help us to be a church that not only proclaims your gospel, but lives in the truth of the gospel so that people might see the difference in us the way that we handle suffering and hardship and the highs and the lows of this life, that we give it all to you and worship you because you're good. I pray that we would see that, that other people would see that and your gospel would go forth. God, thank you that we get to stand here so freely and worship you on this Easter day. We praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.